Oh, hello. You're, uh, you're probably here about the, uh, the story. Elves love to tell stories. I bet you didn't know that about elves. There's a, probably a lot of things you, you didn't know about elves. Another, another interesting uh, elf-ism. Uh, there are only three jobs available to an elf. The first is making shoes at night while, you know, while the old, the old cobbler sleeps. Lazy bum. Couldn't even make a clock. You can bake cookies in a tree. As you can imagine, it's uh, dangerous having an oven in an oak tree during the dry season. But the third job, some call it the, the, the show or, or the, the big dance. It's the profession that every elf aspires to, and that is to build toys in Santa's workshop. Only two weeks left till Christmas. No human being has ever set, set foot in Santa's workshop. Uh, that is until about 30 years ago, and as you may have guessed, that's where our story begins. We're talking about Christmas at the movies, and we're, we're probably going to be looking at the Christmas story in a way you may have never thought about before. So if you're a guest with us today, thank you so much for joining us. We're so glad that you came. Hey, why don't we give our guests one more hand, one more hand clap. Thank you so much. Great, great job. Great job, Toby. Awesome. Good job, man. Uh, this is awesome. It's exciting what God is doing here, and we're so glad. We would love for you to get connected and get involved. Something that's, that was really exciting that happened yesterday is a team of people from here at City Hills. Uh, we had our very first, we're a brand new church for those of you that maybe be visiting with us today. We started September the 20th, but we had our very first Saturday serve day yesterday. And we took a team of people down to CARM and wrote encouraging notes and just put them all over the, the dormitory there. And we prayed over the ladies' side and the men's side. And it was just absolutely awesome. And I just wanted to say that, that, that because of your generosity, things like that are able to take place. Just last week's offering that was just specifically to be given away back into the community, we, you guys raised over $3,000 to be able to give back to our city, to be able to give back to, there's a family in need that's here connected to West Valley Middle School, and we really felt like that we were supposed to start right here at home. So I was able to contact the, the, the social worker here and say, hey, we're, whatever they need, like we're, we want to give them Christmas. We're going to buy Christmas toys for their kids and food and just going to be a great Christmas. And then we're going to give the rest to the, to, the, uh, to the ministry that we served yesterday down at CARM. And that's because of you guys. That's because, so why don't you give yourself a hand one more time, the impact that you're making here in our city and to making a difference. That's really what it's What's what it's all about. So we're so glad that you've come. So glad that you're here today. We're we're talking today about the movie Elf. I love uh, what Toby was saying. It's my favorite movie too. Somebody asked uh, online, "What are your three favorite Christmas movies?" And mine have to be Elf, Elf, and Elf. Those are my three favorite. Christmas movies. I don't know what yours are. Our family, when we get together for Thanksgiving, it's kind of a Thanksgiving tradition for us. Whenever Thanksgiving comes around, or, or if it doesn't happen Thanksgiving, at least by Christmas, my wife's brother and all of her family, we all gather around at her grandma's house, and we watch Elf, and we just laugh. So I was thinking, Lord, how in the world are we going to actually talk about Jesus and talk about Elf at the same time? I don't know. But I think we figured it out. We, it's been fun because if you, if you haven't been here, you can actually go on cityhills.com and listen to some of the past messages. And it's, it's really interesting because we try to use, Jesus used parables. He used stories that, that, were, that he made up. 
that, that were relatable to people, just ordinary, everyday people, children, older people. He had the ability to communicate on such a level. It was just absolutely incredible. So maybe you're here today and you're new to this whole Christian thing. Maybe this is a brand new experience for you and hopefully you'll see the gospel and the story of Christmas in a whole new light. Or maybe you're somebody who this is, this is something that you've known all your life and hopefully maybe you'll think about it a little bit different. We're talking about Buddy the Elf and Christmas and all these great things. So in your worship guide, you should have received some message notes. And if you want to follow along, that'll help you uh, follow along with the message and what's going on. You're welcome to take notes or you can check that out so you can be able to follow along with what's going on. But before we get started today, I want to ask you a question. Uh, How many um, are from Knoxville? Like how many were born here in, in this city? How many were born? Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. There we go. Yeah, people, there, there's not very many. I thought there would be a lot more. Raise your hand high. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, there's not that many here that are from Knoxville. How many are from the state of Tennessee? How many are from the state of Tennessee? You were born in the state of Tennessee. Wow. How many were born, um, in, the, how many were born in the south? You'd say you're kind of born in a state that's kind of touching Tennessee somewhere kind of around, yeah? How many were born on the other side of the country? How many were born on the other side of the country? Yeah. How many were born in another country? How many were born in another country? Yeah, there we go. Give them a hand. It's awesome. I knew we had people that were from Argentina and South Africa and um, Kenya, all kinds of people that, that come to City Hills that are from all over. And the Christmas season always gets me thinking about my hometown. I'm from a, a very large metropolis of about 2,000 people in western Kentucky called Hanson, Kentucky is where I was raised. It's a big town, I promise. It's got one stoplight, and I went there to visit, and we're about to get a Walmart, praise God. So I just, I left too soon. I left too soon before we got the Walmart. So, you know, that's big news where I come from, to have the Walmart. And that's what we call the Walmart. You know what I'm saying? But actually, it was from a little, I was from a little bigger town, about 20,000 people, but that's the, the town I lived in was called Hanson. And I got thinking about our hometowns and maybe think about your elementary school that you attended or the, the street that you grew up on or, or the friends that you had back then and the things that you liked about your hometown or maybe the things you didn't like about your hometown. Maybe you, you miss your hometown some. Maybe you're glad and you never want to go back again. I don't know what your experience was with your hometown, but here's what I know. None of us had the, had the opportunity to choose our hometown. None of us had the ability to choose where we came from. I don't remember having any conversation with my mom saying, Mom, you know, I don't really want to live in New York. I don't really want to live in L.A. I'd really like to be raised in Hanson, Kentucky. Like, can we make that happen? I don't remember that conversation at all. That was something that was decided for me. Maybe you were raised in multiple places. Maybe you kind of were raised all over the place. You didn't choose that. That's just how your life was. But as I thought about Christmas, I got thinking about not just my hometown, but the hometown of Jesus. And when you think about, we did not have the ability to choose where we come from, but he did. Jesus had the ability to choose the place where he would come from. To choose the town, to choose the city, to choose the place where he would be born, where he would be raised, where forever he would be from this place. Songs would be sung about this place. Stories would be written about this place. Movies would be produced with this place in mind. People for thousands of years would go across the sea to go visit this place. Man, it had to be a special place that Jesus chose. 
The thing that I find the most interesting about the story is not just what he chose, but the cities that he did not choose. He didn't choose to be born in Athens. He didn't choose to be born in Alexandria. He didn't choose to be born in the centers of power, in the centers of greatness, if you would, in that culture and in that, in that world. He didn't come from the great places, but he came from a town called Bethlehem. So today, I want to look at the story of Buddy the Elf, one of the most unlikely people to ever make a difference. He was an orphan child. He crawled in Santa's sack, and he went to the North Pole thinking he was an elf, but he wasn't. He had a beard. He was taller than them all. He couldn't put together the etch-a-sketches like the elves naturally. He was... He did not, he was not a likely person to make a difference. But you know what I know about God? We're going to use his as a story about who God is. But you know what I know about God? God specializes in using unlikely people to do extraordinary things. God specializes in taking middle-of-nowhere places, middle-of-nowhere people, people without influence, people without stature, people that should not naturally be leaders, should not naturally make a difference. And he says, that's where I want to be from. That's where I want my hometown to be. So today, through the story of Elf, we're going to look at three aspects of why I believe Jesus chose Bethlehem as his hometown. Three aspects of the history of this small little town, of why all the places Jesus would choose to be from there. And if I could, if I could just say um, my thesis um, from the very beginning today, it would simply be this. That, that no place is too small for greatness. No place is too small for greatness. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 speaks of Jesus' hometown. He says, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the, the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So God says, Bethlehem, you're so small, you're so insignificant seemingly to the world, but you're actually exactly who I want to use to change the world. That you may look little, but no place is too small for greatness. And if I could say no person is too small. No person is too far gone. No matter how many mistakes that you've made. No matter how many times people have called you out and said you're never going to amount to anything. We serve a God who turns insignificant things into great things. We serve a God who can turn a backwoods out of the way town into the very center of the world. Where his glory would be seen for the whole world to know even to this day. That's our God. That's what he does. But just like Buddy faced some issues and some problems, and I believe it's the why we love the story. Because if Buddy was awesome, we wouldn't like the story, right? We like the story because Buddy had some obstacles to overcome. So let's look at some of the obstacles Buddy had to overcome. This is great. It's so hard to choose all the, all the clips, by the way. I could just like show the whole thing. Come tonight at 5 o'clock at the office, and it's awesome. Check it out. As much as uh, Buddy was accepted by his family and friends, there were a few drawbacks to being a, a human in a, an elf's world. Oh, 
Hey, Meng Meng. Um, I'm gonna be a little bit short on today's quota. It's all right, buddy. Just how many etch sketches did you get finished? Come on, buddy, how many? I made, uh, 85. You, 915 off the pace. Why don't you just say it? I'm the worst toy maker in the world. I'm a cotton-headed ninny muggins. <gasps> and so, Buddy was sent where the the special elves work. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. Here's the first aspect of Buddy that I think kind of relates to us. And, and, and what God uses is, here's the deal, that God specializes in using misfits. Buddy was a misfit, if you would. He, if you will, he was somebody who did not fit in in his world. He had aspects of who he was that as much as he tried, he could not fit in with everybody else around him. He had problems, he had issues because he just could not fit fit. And God specializes in using misfits. I would dare say that all of us are a misfit in some way. All of it, whether it's visible or behind the scenes, we all have these issues in life that, that, that we just cannot make it without something being changed on the inside. We are a little bit of a misfit. Maybe you're somebody who you've been spoken negative, somebody spoke negative things over your life. Maybe whenever you were younger, there was somebody in authority over you that spoke some things that still ring in your ears this day. Maybe you're an adult now and you can still hear the voice. You're a misfit. You do not fit in. You are different. You are not somebody of great value. But God specializes in using places and people who, may not, who feel like misfits along the way. Well, one of the things when I think about the scripture in Bethlehem and why God chose this place. When you hear Bethlehem, usually, it's, usually it is uh, tagged with, it's, it's changed its name, it's tagged with another name. It's the city of David. Bethlehem, the city of David. As the angel proclaimed that this day, in the city of David, a Savior is born. See, Bethlehem was not just Jesus' hometown, but Bethlehem was the King David's hometown. And let me take you back in the history of the nation of Israel and what happened there in Bethlehem. Israel had a king. He started out great. His name was Saul. But with some time, he actually began to go against the things of God and became prideful. And 
came to a point where it was time for a new king to come and God was wanting to have someone who is a man after his own heart. God was not just wanting somebody to, to, to fill, the, fill the role. God was looking for someone that would be in love with him and lead his people the way that the Lord would have him to lead the people. And God spoke to Samuel and said, fill your horn with oil. It's time to go anoint the next generation that's to be the king. Go fill your horn with oil. It's time to go anoint the person who's going to sit on the throne of Israel. This was such a big deal. So Samuel goes. He's a man. He's a human. So he goes and begins to follow the Lord. And the Lord leads him to this place called Bethlehem and to this house, the house of Jesse. And he goes to Jesse and says, I feel like the Lord is calling me to anoint the next king from your sons. And Jesse is excited, I'm sure. He's so excited that one of his boys are going to be the next king. So, so, so naturally, he brings the eldest son, and he brings him the good-looking one. He brings him before Samuel and says, Samuel, here he is. Here's my boy. Here's the one that, man, the whole, every, all the family knows this guy's going to do great things. And Samuel sits there, and he knows in his heart that's not the person it's supposed to be. Samuel's seeing something that, 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 that everybody else isn't seeing. So, 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 so son after son goes past. Son after son goes past. But, 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 but Samuel says, I, I don't feel like any of these boys that are coming this way, they're, they're, all, they're all handsome and they're all good looking and I, I'm sure they're going to do great things, but, but there's something that that king, that anointed one, is I haven't seen him yet. Do you have any more sons? And it's as if, it's as if Jesse forgot that he had one more boy. Scholars have said for hundreds of years that debated why that was because we wouldn't just forget our son out in the field whenever such a great thing is on the horizon. But many people believe that he was forgotten because he may have been illegitimate. He was forgotten because he didn't fit in with everybody else. He was forgotten because maybe... Jesse was trying to keep him in the dark, maybe because things had been said over David because of how he was born and because of how the situations that were surrounding his life, and if you would, David was a misfit. David didn't fit in with everybody else. But Samuel the prophet said, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I'm so thankful we serve a God. He sees more in us than what other people see. We serve a God that he sees beyond our exterior. He sees beyond our past. He sees beyond the things that we're facing. And he sees the king inside of us. See, Bethlehem was a place where a misfit became a king. Bethlehem was a place when a nobody became a somebody. When a man that, that his brothers and father had forgotten about him, whenever he was out in the field playing instruments unto the Lord by himself, everybody else had forgotten about him. But God said, there's a boy that I'm going to turn into a king, and I'm going to do it right here from the middle of Podunk nowhere. And I'm going to do it so that forever people will know how great of a God I am that can take somebody that the world overlooks and say, I'll use them. I'll use you. Other people may have said you're a misfit, but God says you're the exact fit for his purpose in your life. Don't ever give up. Don't ever quit on what God has for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. 
In other words, that God saved us. I, I love this. I heard this growing up as a kid so much. God didn't just save us from the uttermost. He saved us from the guttermost. He saved us from the deepest, darkest place. He didn't save us because we're good. He saved us because he's good. He didn't serve us because we, he didn't save us because we have it all together. He saved us because he has it all together. He's God. So don't walk into a church like this thinking, man, I, all these perfect people in here, I could never be somebody that's like that. I could never serve the Lord. I want to tell you, you're exactly who God wants to use. And every single one of us are still facing problems and issues and struggles in our lives. And I want you to know that God is using me only because I'm a misfit, only because I still need him, only because yesterday I got down on my knees and said, Jesus, if you don't help me speak tomorrow, I cannot do it. And I mean it because it's only by the grace of God God, can I do what I do? Can we do what we do together? God uses misfits still today. And I, I love the story of Buddy the Elf. I'm sorry, I'm like laughing and crying. This is an emotional day, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, 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 but let me take you a little bit further. So he's a misfit. He doesn't fit. So, so, so he does what we all do. He, whenever we feel like we don't fit, we just kind of go on the run. And that's what he did. He, he got this idea. His father told, his, his adopted father told him where his real dad was and gave him a snow globe with the Empire State Building on it. So he was going to a magical land, New York City. So check it out. Bye, guys. Bye, buddy. Bye, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. Thanks, Mr. Narwhal. Bye. What's your name? My name's Buddy. Someone need a hug. I just wanted a hug. And every time it rains, it rains. And it's from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains banners from heaven? You'll find your fortune falling all over town. Vision and your umbrella is up, 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 upside down and trading for a package of sunshine and ravioli. Macaroni! If you want the thing you love... You did it! Congratulations! World's best cup of coffee. Great job, everybody. It's great to meet you. Hi. Now come over here, boy. Sam. And every time it rains, it rains. And don't you know it's confident?
of you have ever been frustrated with the GPS before? Maybe, maybe uh, you know, gave you the wrong turn, told you to go a direction, different direction, you know, and that you didn't want to go. I've, I've learned there are certain apps that I don't use anymore because they, they tell me to go the, long, the wrong way, the long way. And, and uh, you know, whenever you're trying, whenever you get off course and you're trying to recalculate, it can get pretty frustrating at times. And, and, and this, that clip makes, always makes me think about this idea of searching and seeking. And he's, he, he, he's trying to find his father. He's trying to find his family. He's trying to find essentially who he is. He's trying to find out what, like, what his history is, what, what his identity is. I don't know if you've ever kind of done like a family tree, try to find out you know, who's in your family tree, and hopefully it doesn't you know, cross back and forth, but hopefully it's just nice and broad. Hallelujah. But you look at your family tree and you think, man, you know, who am I? And that's what Buddy was trying to find. Well, Bethlehem, we're actually going in reverse chronological order of the history of Bethlehem. First, we talked about being David. Second, I want to talk about an ancestor of David named Ruth. Ruth was a pagan lady who, came in, who, who married the son of an Israelite. She married the son of Naomi. And because of famine in the land... She actually, her, her husband passed away, and Naomi came to a place, her mother-in-law, Naomi, came to a place where she said, we have to go back. I know there's bread back in Bethlehem. I know there's bread back in Bethlehem. So Ruth, this person who knows nothing about God, she's not an Israelite, she has no clue what's exactly happening. She starts on a journey following her mother-in-law to Bethlehem. She's at a place at rock bottom. Her and her mother-in-law are poor. They don't have money. They don't have means to buy what they need to have food. So there was a law back in that day where if someone was hungry that they could actually trail behind those who were reaping wheat and if there was someone that needed food, then people would leave a little bit of wheat on the edges so that people that were hungry could have food. So she does this. She's at the lowest of the low. She's searching. She's seeking. She's at this place where she's at rock bottom in her life. And she has something that changes everything. A man named Boaz catches her, her eye. And Boaz decides that he's actually going to bring her into his family and he's going to marry her. Boaz was a very rich man. He was a man of means. He was an incredible thing for Ruth. But it all happened in Bethlehem. When I was studying this week, I just hadn't thought about that. I'd always heard about the story of Ruth, but I never realized it took place in Bethlehem. This place where essentially a homeless lady that knew nothing about God became part of the lineage of David and the lineage of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. And this place of that she was just 
searching. And here's, here's what Bethlehem reminds me, that God chooses, God uses the searching. The searching. We don't enjoy searching. We don't enjoy seeking. That's not what we want to be about. But it was in the searching and the seeking, something that she did not want to happen. See, some of us, I dedicate this message to somebody who's, you're facing an impossible situation that seemingly does not go away and you're just searching and seeking. And I want you to know it's in that place where Jesus wants to meet you. It's in that place of, uh, of impossibility, if you will, where God actually wants to bring you to the place where he can put you in, 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 into your destiny. What would her life have been if she wouldn't have had this time of searching, of seeking in Bethlehem. You see, Christmas reminds me, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. It says, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you great news that will cause great joy. And here's what I want to focus on this morning. For all the people. For everybody. Anybody searching, anybody seeking, anybody in places of impossibility. Anyone like Ruth that you don't know about this whole God thing. You don't know about this Christianity thing. God says, right where you are, that's where I want to meet you. Bethlehem's a place where the searching find their destiny. It's a place where everything changes for Ruth. It's a place where everything changes for us. Because that's where God wants to meet us. See, Buddy found what he was looking for. He found his dad. But just like in life, it didn't turn out the way he thought it would. It, you, you learn a lot of things don't turn out the way Buddy thought they were going to turn out. But this one, top of all, because of the way that him and his dad's relationship worked out. And, and, and I just want to show you a very short clip here that, that, that shows a little bit of what Buddy went through. I'm sorry I ruined your lives and crammed 11 cookies into the VCR. I don't belong here. I don't belong anywhere. I'll never forget you. Love, buddy. as funny of a movie as it is, it's little moments like that that remind us that we all have times where things hurt that we don't understand. We all have times where we don't know why it's not working out. The family issues, the family struggles, the financial struggles, I don't know. The work-related struggles, the friendship issues, the, the, the physical issues that we face. The things that we question about why and that's, that's why movies like this touch us, because in, in those moments we're reminded that, you know what, we hurt, and we have pain, and there's struggles. In Bethlehem, the very first time Bethlehem's ever mentioned, it shows us that God still uses the hurting. God doesn't throw us away because of our pain. As a matter of fact, our pain actually draws us near to our Father. You know, it's whenever my son... Um, hurts is whenever he wants to be the closest to me. 
You know, it's whenever Hudson scrapes his leg or, you know, falls down. He's forever falling down somewhere. He's a three-year-old. But whenever he does that, he wants me to, he wants me to kiss it. <laughs> He's still at that age. The other day, I accidentally hit him with a football. You know, dad fell. I was throwing it and psh, right there in the eye. <laughs> I thought I gave my own son a black eye uh, with, the, with the football. I was like, oh, fail. Dad, fail. But, but whenever he got done, he said, Dad, will you kiss it? Will you kiss it? And, uh, man, isn't that, isn't that us with God? That, you know what, it's in those moments of pain we say, Dad, would you draw me close to you? Dad, would you help me? You see, Bethlehem, when it's first mentioned, it's mentioned in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 35. It says, Rachel was about to die, but, when her, but with her last breath, she named her baby Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. The first time we hear about Bethlehem is whenever Rebecca's passing away. She's, it's this place of great sadness and great sorrow, and she actually names her son after her sorrow. She actually names her future after the current pain in her life, and don't we do that? Don't we do that? We look at our future and we say it's never going to get any better than this pain right here. And we just go ahead and put a name. We attach a name to our pain. See, naming our, our children is a great privilege to us parents. It's, it's something we think about. It's something that we, that, that we make sure that it's just the right name. We have, friend, we have a friend that's a nurse and she, she uh, tells us about funny names. She works uh, where the babies are and she t- always tells us about the funny names. And, and one of the names uh, that, that I... Uh, uh, someone named him was, um, here's how it was spelled, A-B-C-D-E. That was the name, A-B-C-D-E. And it was pronounced absidy. How many would agree that person does not, should not be having kids? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Another one she t- <laughs> Oh, this is good. The other one, it was, this is how it was spelled, A-Dash-A. And you know what her name was? Adasha. Poor thing, right? And then the, the, wor- the worst of all, you, you can't tell anybody I told you. The worst of all was this. Um, it, was, it was spelled, uh, it, was, it was pronounced shanasty, but it was spelled she-nasty. <laughs> Just FYI, never name your kid, never spell it. Looked like she nasty. The, so, the, so the doctor came in and said, oh, just a little she nasty here. That's bad. That's bad. <laughs> true story. True story. I can take you to the source. Well, anyway, naming, you, you, need, you don't need to name your kids that, right? But, but, but naming our kids is a great privilege. And here's the deal. Naming our future is an even greater privilege. Because we have the ability to attach what, what it's going to be by the expectation that we put on it. It's exactly what happened at Bethlehem. It was a place of pain. But it didn't stay a place of pain because the scripture says, and go back to that passage there, the scripture says that the baby's father, Jacob, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. You see, I love that picture. The pain calls him pain, but the father calls him the promise. The pain says it's never going to get any better than this, but the father says, no, there's something greater than the pain. 
There's something greater than the shame. There's something greater than what you're feeling, than what you're facing, because even at Bethlehem, it's a place where things of pain turn into things of favor and blessing and promise. I'm reminded of the story of Phineas' wife in the Old Testament. I, I put uh, the passage of Scripture there in your notes, and it's a time in Israel's history that's very dark. Over 32,000 uh, Israelite soldiers had been killed, and the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's power and presence, was actually stolen away, and the, pro- the priest Eli fell, and he, and he died. And so you had a dead leader. You had 32,000 dead troops. You had the Ark of the Covenant, which was the greatest tragedy that was taken away, and then you had Phineas' wife giving birth. And when Phineas' wife gave birth, the Bible says she named the child Ichabod, saying the glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said the glory is departed from Israel and the ark, for the ark of God is taken. It was a bad time. It was a bad time in her family. It was a bad time in the nation. It was bad all around her. So she named her son Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. And here's the problem I have with Phineas's wife. It's simply this, that she not believe that her son would ever outlive the tragedy of her day. Did she ever believe that her son would one day live beyond the pain, live beyond the problem, live beyond the issue, but instead of calling it something of hope that would outlive the pain, she called it by the pain. I want to tell you that God wants you to take the things, the issues that you're facing in your life and don't allow the enemy to just heap them onto you and say, it's never going to get better. Why do I even serve the Lord? Why do I even give my life to Him? No, let you look at what the impossibility is and begin to call it not what the pain says, but begin to call it what the Father says. Don't call it son of sorrow. No, call it son of my favor, son of my right hand. Call it what it is. Because God's in control. I think about Mary. She was someone who the angel promised that she was going to have a child, Jesus, and he was going to save the world. And, but there was one issue, that she was a virgin, and no one would understand her pregnancy. There were a lot of, there were a lot of things that were, that, were, that were in her face, and people didn't understand why she was pregnant the way she was. And she could have called it whatever she wanted to call it, but she listened to the voice of God and where, where Phineas's wife called her future Ichabod, Mary listened to the voice of God during a shifting sand season of Israel and she called her future Emmanuel, God's with me. See, you can either call your future Ichabod or you can call your future Emmanuel. Call it Emmanuel. Because no matter what you're facing right now, I want to encourage you today, God is with you. God is with you. You're not alone because God still uses the hurting. God still uses the broken. And God's promise changes everything. Well, I can't let you go without letting you see what happens to Buddy in the story of um, how one unlikely elf can um, save Christmas. So check it out. Well, still no sign of Santa. But some spontaneous Christmas caroling has broken out right here in front of Central Park. Let's have a listen in. When you're sleeping, he knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Hey! Stand watch out, stand watch out. 
he managed to save Christmas. And his spirit saved a lot of other people, too. But he saved Christmas. A very unlikely person to save Christmas, but he did. And could it be that God, though we be unlikely at times, God still wants to use us, just like he used Bethlehem, to bring the great things through. Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. If you'll remember... Scripture in Micah that we read says that it was the smallest. Bethlehem was the little, just a little town. But Matthew chapter 2, verse 5 says, But Bethlehem in Judea, this is what the prophet has written. In the land of Judah, you are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come the ruler who will be shepherd of my people. One passage says, the Old Testament passage says, Man, it's a little bitty nowhere town. The New, Test- the New Testament passage says, oh, you're not the least anymore. Like there's something bigger in you. And here's the deal. When we get a hold of the promise of God, when we get a hold of God's purpose in our life, when we allow God to use us despite our searching, despite our pain, despite our issues in life, when we give our hearts to Jesus and he makes our heart his hometown, then everything changes. Everything changes. So here's the deal. God wants to make my heart his home. As simple as that is, as simple as that sounds, it's the reality that wherever you are today, God wants to use you. Maybe you're at a place where it's been a long time since you've just given your life completely to Jesus you say, man, he used to have his home in me, but man, I, I, I went far away and kicked him out. I didn't want his direction leading in my life. Or maybe you need to bring him in for the first time and say, God, take your residence right here in me. Use me. I need you. I want to end today by reading a prayer that I read this week by a man named Stephen Sandness. Here's what he says. You, the creator of all things came into my world in the smallest of places, Bethlehem. A backwater wide spot in the road out in the middle of nowhere. You, ancient of days, came to a working man, a carpenter, and his teenage bride-to-be, people of no greater importance or stature than me. You showed yourself first to shepherds, men of no social stature, with the stink of the field on them, 
Most importantly, you wrapped your infinite self in the fragile, very mortal flesh of a baby. And when you did that, coming to me in the smallest, most vulnerable form imaginable, you made it possible for me to finally receive you. Christmas reminds me that in you coming first to small places, there is no place that is God forsaken. As sure as you were found in a manger, you can also be found in my home, in my office, in my car. Christmas reminds me that as sure as you came first to parents of no social station or ability, and you trusted them to raise you into adulthood, you must certainly entrust yourself to my care too. If Joseph and Mary can bear you to the world, I must be able to do that too. Christmas reminds me that as sure as you first revealed yourself to a bunch of scraggly shepherds, you most certainly will reveal yourself to me, even with all my doubts and all my fears. Christmas reminds me that when I look into the face of a baby, whenever I change a diaper or heat up a bottle, the vulnerability I see there is a reflection of the way you became vulnerable that I might receive you. Christmas reminds me that once you made small things great and you're you're not finished yet. So thank you, Lord, for your birth for Christmas. Help me today to receive it, to receive you with the faith of Mary and Joseph, with the wonder of the shepherds, and with all the joy of the angels. Amen. Every head bowed in this place, I just want to have a moment of prayer. Father, what a beautiful prayer. So incredible the way that you've come to us. Lord, this season's so busy, so full of shiny things that take our attention off of what it's really all about. God, thank you for reminding us today that you want to use us no matter where we are. No matter our pain, no matter our shame, But right where we are, you want to make our heart your hometown. God, would you use us? Would you help us to see truly who you are and want to be in our lives? In Jesus' name.